Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know what would make you better? <laughs> what would make me better? More uh, sleep? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure that wouldn't hurt. Um, no, I there is this movie that just came out that I'm like, I'm like borderline obsessed with. I'm so, so excited about it. And I've just been recommending it to everyone because it's one of those movies that no matter what kind of movies you like, you'll probably like it because it's that awesome. And so I'm going to say you'll be better if you watch this movie. Okay. I mean, you know, you'll feel better. I'm ready. Uh, it's called Knives Out. It's uh, the latest, uh, latest movie from director Ryan Johnson, who I, has done all kinds of other good stuff that I like, too. Um, and it's so awesome. Okay, listeners, we don't, we don't recommend, we don't like name drop that many products or things on this show. Um, but Knives Out is really great. Here's why. Uh, if you like mystery, but not like super scary, just like, you know, what in the heck's going on. Uh, and you like great characters and you like good writing and you like Daniel Craig doing an awesome accent and you like maybe like the most amazing set decoration I've ever seen. You might like this movie. It just uh, came out on video. Came out on video. Do we still say that? <laughs> we, you and I, you and I are old enough. We can say it that. Just, uh, it is now available to buy and watch online legally, um, and it's really great. Highly so, recommend. I've he- I've heard good things about. It. I don't know a lot. I um, the cast also looks awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, in addition to Daniel Craig, there's like Jamie Lee Curtis. And well, Christopher Plummer, lots of other. I don't know who's like a main character or not because I'm just looking at it. I'm looking at a list, but I would recommend doing as little looking as possible and just going to see it on the strength of my recommendation because I think it's one where the less you know going in, awesome, the better. So also, um, the 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 Chris who is Captain America. Okay, Chris Evans is that his name? Yeah, Uh, that sounds good. Sorry, I lost. I lost my train of thought. I was so I was so distracted by this good movie. Um, oh, I know. Well, I, I feel like Daniel Craig normally has a good accent. So I'm I'm intrigued. Don't tell me, don't tell me what his accent is in this movie. But like, okay, I, cool. I, I'm pretty okay with his James Bond accent. I think that's pretty exciting. It's so. pretty good too. This yeah. is also very good and just in a different way. Um, can I? T- so here's a funny thing. Um, this is a petty complaint of mine that is a little bit related. And that is, uh, as most of our listeners know, surely, on uh, Netflix, uh, you can have different user accounts. So if you have different family members, you can have different, you know, profiles, um, not accounts, profiles. And so, like, you know, your favorite shows and what genres you like and stuff sort of is, like, person-specific. But on Amazon Prime Video, that does not happen. Uh, mm. And it turns out people in, in, in my house have different um, different preferences and so leaving the the kids out of it, uh, so so my wife loves horror movies, um, and and I do not, and so and so it's always like you know recommended for you, and there'll be a string of like <laughs> shark movies and zombie movies and like things that do not interest me at all, and I have to dig really far until I get in. I don't even know what, I don't know what my profile would be if it was going to recommend stuff. It's probably like quirky comedies. British TV and like cheesy action movies, like some intersection of those, mm-hmm. but it, it, there's no overlap with like horror movies and very little with period English dramas. 
Bonnet shows, we call those in my house. Okay, bonnet shows. And, and actually, those, if, if someone forces me to watch them, I often enjoy them, but I'll just never pick them. Like, if I'm alone, I'll never choose to watch that. Like, mm-hmm. like Poldark, for example, mm-hmm. uh, which has been a recent favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure it's great. Nothing against Poldark. All you Poldark fans, don't don't send me hate mail. Uh, <laughs> but it's just not, it, it, you know, it's not, it wouldn't be my first, my first choice. Yeah, yep. Uh, the other recommendation that I want to make is uh, a novel called Never Let Me Go that's by uh, Kazuo Ishiguro. Um, and it came out in 2005. Uh, apparently, there's a movie of it now. I have not seen that, so I'm, I, I'm not recommending or against that one. Um, but it's a really lovely little uh, short book that also you should uh, go into knowing as little about as possible. Um, and it's one of those where you kind of figure out what's going on you feel confused and then figure out what's going on gradually and in pieces. And it's, it's really delightful in that way. Boy, I guess I didn't intend for those, the book and the movie to kind of be related, but in both cases, they're like, you're a little confused, but you're having fun along the way. I like those. I like those though. Those are my favorite. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to, um, I'm embarrassed by how few books I read. Uh, so just so everyone knows, I, I, I do know how to read a book. Uh, I, I know how the letters <laughs> go into words and I, I know how to do it. Um, but I, you know, it just post faculty and post kids, I, it's not a good excuse. I mean, this is a whole other, this is not our topic for today, but I mean, just in my own life, I'm being honest, I struggle with making time for, um, for things that I like to do, like, you know, anyway, including reading. Uh, and so I'm this now, again, I'm going to recommit to try to read like a book sometime. <laughs> I, I, do, you know, Goodreads, like there's like the app yeah, yeah. and like the website. So I, a few years ago I had, you know, I have friends who read and so I'm like, okay, I'm going to be competitive about it. Cause you can like put how many pages you did, you know, and that almost worked because I'm very competitive, like stupidly competitive about things. Mm-hmm. But, but then I like gave up, you know, and now it's like zero for like a year. <laughs> so anyway, so you've, you've inspired me. Maybe I will. Yeah, you know, I've like, I have gone through phases where I've read for fun more and less and have just kind of entered a a new phase of Mm -hmm. being like, oh, yeah, I love this. This is so fun. And I've really, really been enjoying it. You know, it's, it's such an amazing way to travel through space and time without leaving your bedroom. I know, right? Well, I do you, um, I'm allowing us to go off on a tangent here. But do you (laughs) do you read before you go to sleep at night? Yeah. Because I know, I know people like my mom, for example, um, hi mom, if you're listening, uh, can't fall asleep without reading. And like, so, mm. so it's almost like she's, you know, anyway, she's kind of trained herself, but now she has to read. Mm-hmm. And so I've thought about like training myself to do that too. So then I would like, I would, I would be stuck, you know, it's like setting up a trap for yourself. Um, but you know, <laughs> to help yourself do a good job. Right. So right. It's, it's like a good, it's a good trap, but <laughs> I have not done that. So I typically just fall asleep when I hit the pillow. Mm-hmm. Because I stay up too late. <laughs> Usually, <laughs> that's my that's my amazing strategy: is be sleep deprived and stay up too late, and then you'll fall asleep really quickly. Well, we'll we'll check in again. You know, when yeah. the when the twins are a little older. And yeah, see how exactly. Going. Yeah, when they're reading books, I can read with them. Um. All right, gang. So here we are in uh, where are we? Late February. Um, and it is uh in in the academic world. It is it is getting into grad school time, or in some cases, not getting into grad school time. Um, and Jonathan and I have been talking a little bit about like the, the process of uh, people applying to grad school, making decisions about um, 
if they get multiple offers, which one to go to. Um, and also about what happens when you when you don't get into the program you want or when you don't get into any programs. Um, and so we wanted to talk today about these kind of like bumps in the road when when life doesn't go according to plan um, and, uh, and, and, and how we deal with those things. Um, for those of you who listened to our first ever episode about winding roads, uh, it's very clear that, you know, plans don't always, uh, people don't always have plans. And even if they do, they don't always, they don't always come through. Um, but today we really wanted to focus on like, when you really have a great idea that you think is going to work or something you really want to do. Can you add a dramatic sound effect there? And then it doesn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so, yeah, right. So that happens to you, Julia? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I said that in my, my Minnesota voice. Oh, yeah. Thanks for playing <laughs> right. sometimes. Um, yeah. So the, the, the first one of those that really, like, nailed me, I, we talked about in the Winding Roads episode of, of getting to college, being academically unprepared, and having my, my plans of, going to med school and being some kind of neurosurgeon uh, really, really dashed when I couldn't pass intro bio. And that was my first, my first real like experience with, with failure. I mean, I failed at plenty of things in high school, but that was the first one that, you know, that kind of made me like question who I am and what am I worth and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and, and like now when I'm looking back at all of these bumps in the road um they look like they look like mountains at the time and uh you know given given a little perspective look look more like just kind of little speed bumps along the way mm-hmm. um and some of which are like uh i i don't actually believe in fate and that things work out for the best because there is some master plan but in some cases i'm like boy you know i it's, it's hard for me to imagine a future where I'm happier than I am in this one. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's okay that it worked out that way. Right. Right. One of the first, this is a little, uh, it's a little story, but I, I always think of it in this context. And it's just, it makes me laugh. So in eighth grade, um, and, and for people who know me, I'm sure you'll be shocked to know I was not a very athletic person in junior <laughs> high and high school. Um, uh, and honestly, I think I was a late bloomer. So, like, I always enjoyed sports, but I think I was always, like, five years behind, like, you know, in my interests and my <laughs> and my coordination and stuff. I do remember um, I played Little League and, and back in whatever year that was. Uh, so, in baseball, uh, if there are, you know, you get four balls that aren't strikes, then you, you walk. to You get to go to first base. In our Little League, you know, the pitchers aren't always great, and so we got a tee. So you put the ball on the tee, you get to hit it. And for people with really good um, hand-eye coordination, this is great because you like get a free hit. Mm-hmm. But I hit the I would hit the tee and not the ball because I was about three Aww. inches off in my coordination. So every time I got the tee, I would swing with all my might and like knock the tee over every time. Um, anyway, it didn't bother me at the time. Now I feel a little bad, but it was it was fine at the time. Anyway, all of which is to say, I spent a lot of time doing. Uh, music stuff, and I did. I spent a lot of time doing academic stuff, and I did not spend a lot of time doing athletic stuff. But I had a teacher who was coach of the wrestling team, and they met over at the high school. And one day in eighth grade, I thought, you know what, self, I am gonna go wrestle because 
I don't know. I felt like I had to build for it and it seemed like a good sport and whatever. And then I went over to the high school, which is intimidating. It was across the parking lot. And I saw the wrestling team like practicing in the room, but the door was locked. And I was like pulling on the door and I was like knocking and no one heard me. And so, and so guess what I did? I walked home. I was like, okay, it's not meant, it's not meant to be. Um, So in retrospect, I mean, my life may have taken a very different turn had I joined the wrestling team. Um, And the fact that I gave up so easily probably says I didn't want it that badly, but it was, it was interesting because I had, I had this plan and then I was like, well, like, nope, not anymore. Uh, and I, I wasn't honestly, I wasn't that disappointed, and everything was was fine. But mm-hmm. it still makes me laugh. <laughs> the little, little eighth grader knocking on the door. Okay, all right, that was it. I give up. <laughs> well, I suppose like holding on loosely to your plans is, <laughs> right. uh, you know, is a way of ensuring that that when they don't go your way, you're not you're not too crushed by it. But. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so you might also might also counsel a little bit more. You know perseverance yes exactly right well yes if I, to go talk to my eighth grade self i would i would be yeah i'd have i'd have some words for for him <laughs> and probably not just about perseverance <laughs> right. on the wrestling team yeah right um <laughs> but probably a better example uh, of something i really did want and did not give up on was uh i i had not done a lot of well i didn't do a lot of traveling growing up um but did manage to get to europe um, in, right around the beginning of graduate school, and I I really enjoyed traveling, and and we flew through London, and I just I was very captivated with London, and so I started thinking about doing postdocs in in London, uh, kind of midway through graduate school, and uh, and so I started applying for fellowships to to work with people in London, and I applied one year and got rejected, and there you know there. There's a limited number of uh, international fellowships that I knew about that you know would would send me to a foreign institution and, and so on, and so I applied to several uh, in the first year and didn't get any of them. Applied to all of them again in the second year, didn't get any of them. Applied to all of them again in the third year, didn't get any of them. By yeah. this time, of course, I've had to not ha- but be, I had to, but I I then took another postdoc position in in the states, uh, but kept applying. Um. And so finally, I think it was the fourth year um, that I, I think it was three years of not getting any. And then in the fourth year, uh, a different position opened up, this time in, in Cambridge with, with Matt Davis. Um, and I ended up getting that position and, and went there. And it was, it was great and very, a great experience. And so in retrospect, uh, putting off the international travel was good for lots of reasons, kind of personal and scientific and all the stuff I learned while doing that other postdoc um, about brain imaging and sort of it gave me a really good background so that when I actually went and traveled, I was able to, um, anyway, get a lot, I think got a lot more out of the experience. And also never having lived in London or, or anywhere, um, I actually think Cambridge was a better fit for for us than London would have been. I mean, I think London's amazing, but I think on a postdoc salary and the commuting and so on, it's... Um, I'm guessing it's more hectic. Uh, mm-hmm. In Cambridge, you know, there was like a path by the river and the, the cows were often in the way. And they just, it was very, it was more like rural and pastoral than I anticipated. But that was actually really nice. And I, I just really enjoyed it. So, so my narrative, whether it's true or not, is that even though every year I was, I worked really, really, really hard 
and was really, really disappointed to not get an international fellowship to go work in London. In retrospect, I actually think things worked out very well. And whether that's, you know, I'm also not, you know, personally a big believer in sort of fate and, and maybe there are lots of other ways it would have worked out well too, but I have no, like in retrospect, yeah, all these things that seemed like mountains at the time, like I, I hardly think about it because, because, you know, everything went okay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting. So, so anyway, so it was a huge roadblock at the time, very disappointed, kept trying. Well, honestly, the thing that all the fellowships I kept trying, this is not a story of if you keep trying, of course you will succeed because that's not always true. All of the fellowships I applied for, I never got any of them. This is like a separate opportunity. So on the one hand, you could force it into like, keep trying and you will succeed. But in a way it's kind of like, I kept trying and kept failing. And then another thing worked out, which was also good. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think that's maybe a better narrative. It's like, I kept my eyes open and found something else that was, that was also good. And even though it wasn't a plan for like those four years at all, it wasn't on my radar at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so these stories that we've told of like, it seemed like a big deal that it all worked out. Okay. Um, I think like, maybe are reassuring, but also maybe are, you know, I, I'm glad that you just said, like, sometimes things don't work out and you keep trying really, really hard. And, you know, the thing that you want never, never actually happens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel like it's important to the wave, wave the flag of survivorship bias at this point, you know, and talk about the fact that, like, we are two academics doing a podcast that is in part about academia. Um, and that, you know, that the fact that we are here and the advice that we are giving means that like it has worked out for us to stay in academia and it's entirely possible that the advice that other people would give would be, would be completely different. Right. Mm-hmm. We have a very skewed viewpoint because things, because we have been lucky enough that things have, have worked out for us. If I had to guess, um, I bet there are people who you could ask who are not academics anymore, who, who's, who might have been disappointed about that at the time and are now mm-hmm. very glad or at least, yep. or at least very happy in their lives, right? I mean, mm-hmm. who knows? Um, and I hear about, I, you read lots of this on Twitter. People are, I really tried to get whatever position and I couldn't, and now I'm doing this other thing. And boy, I'm glad that I'm doing this other thing. Yeah. And I think like part of the culture there is that, is that the, the, um, the way that people often view like leaving academia is like you have failed to make it in academia. Um, you know, like, like it's some kind of shortcoming to decide to leave the field. Um, which is of course just nonsense, right? Mm-hmm. Like yep. there are lots of great positions out there and having a PhD in something and learning a lot about something, uh, doesn't like make you any less qualified for doing things outside the Academy, right? Yep. Like just the opposite. Um, and especially given a lot of the challenges that are facing academia right now, there's lots of reasons that people might want to leave. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I also, I'm also not crazy. <laughs> as long as we're talking about phrases we don't like, we did uh-huh. imposter syndrome last time. Um, survivorship bias, when, when we talk about academia, um, I don't love it because, because it implies that like the people who have left academia have died, have not right? survived. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like it's, um, which, which I feel like also kind of echoes that, but like, yeah, that narrative that it's, that it's a shortcoming. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, in the first winding roads episode, we talked about the metaphor that everyone uses for survivorship bias of, you know, the planes going to war and which sections, uh, uh, didn't have hits when they came back. And those are the ones you have to armor because the sections that got hits and didn't come back are the ones that, that went down. Um, but when I was reading, uh, when I was reading my four-year-old book the other day, 
I came up with another metaphor that I really like uh, for survivorship bias. Okay, you know, you hear those stories about how somebody like falls off a boat and then a dolphin like gives them a ride, like you know, <laughs> helps like carry them back to yeah. shore. Uh-huh. Um, and you hear about that and you think, wow, dolphins are so amazing and like empathic and helpful. Uh, but surely there are some total jerk dolphins who mm-hmm. like just push people farther out to sea. <laughs> but we don't hear those stories. Uh-huh. So we have this skewed view of how great dolphins are. <laughs> when actually. When right? actually, yeah. you know, who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like that. Do you have any data to back up your, <laughs> your <laughs> no, claim? I don't. Dolphin enthusiasts, don't send me angry letters. Honestly, there's probably a movie, like there's probably a horror movie about the bad dolphins that will <gasps> pop up in my, in my well, video your, recommendations. Your, your wife would know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll ask. I'll ask. The That's bad fine. dolphins. Well, you know, there's another angle to this, which we've talked about before, and I'm sure it's true in other, in lots of other contexts. But, but certainly in our, in our career, you know, luck plays such a huge role. Um, and I've, you know, and so thinking about, oh, well, I'll, we'll come back to luck. I was making a list uh, before we talked, Julia, about about things that fall in this category for me about you know, things I applied to and didn't get that I really wanted. Uh, And so, uh, and so I, and I shared this with you, but it was basically like postdoc grant applications. And, and you heard that story. I applied to a bunch, didn't get them. The the next line was faculty job applications. uh, And the next line was grant applications. And so these are all like, (laughs) I can tell lots of specific stories, but you know, things that I think are great and that I want and, Mm -hmm. and that I don't get, and that it feels like it reflects reflects on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, not, we won't get too much into faculty job stuff today, but just anyway, I, 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 am always happy to share. So I applied to somewhere around 55 faculty jobs when I was on the job market. Uh, I got something like five interviews and something like two offers and then, and then one job in the end. Um, but you know, there were a lot of jobs that I really thought were a good fit that I did mm-hmm. not get interviewed for. Um, I may or may not occasionally check out the people who got those jobs and see how they're doing just because I'm curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but you know, it's, it's a really, it's a tough thing to, to put so much of your heart and soul into, you know, into, into wanting something into trying your best into thinking you're a good fit and then kind of implicitly being told you're not good enough. And I, well, so for, for, for many things, that's not actually the case. I mean, because of this luck, component of it and because of lots of other things, but it, it feels that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think one thing that has helped me a little bit has, has been to be on the evaluating side, uh, not so much of grad school and, and job things, but of grants and, and manuscripts and travel awards and things like that. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, you say, okay, so I've done this for conferences before. So I'll, um, for travel awards. And so you say, oh, you know, we've got 12, you know, we have two travel awards and we ranked all the abstracts and there are 12 that all have a top score. And so, and there's no clear objective way to decide of the mm-hmm. 12, which to get the award. And so there's lots of considerations, but at the end of the day, it's kind of like all 12 are deserving and we had to pick two. Yeah. And then 10 people are like, you know, didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not, and literally there's, I mean, in the cases that I'm thinking of, there was really nothing that was any less good about theirs, but we just didn't have the money. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of helps me a little bit. Like there were lots of 
jobs I didn't get interviews for, but, but maybe I was just as good and just, you know, it was the luck of the drop, but you don't know that. And so it's, it's very challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Um, having similarly, having had things that, you know, didn't go according to plan for me and were frustrating at the time, but, but, you know, I, I survived. Um, I have found that, that those things are really useful to have when talking to students who are going through similar things, mm-hmm. right? Um, being able to emphasize like the element of luck, the element of just having to try a bunch of things and, you know, mm-hmm. um, hope, hope the, hope the odds are ever in your favor. Mm-hmm. Um, and about like, you know, ways to deal with, uh, how you frame those things when, when they go wrong. Um, one of my former students uh, was an artist, um, and they were regularly like submitting things to galleries and for shows. Um, and we were talking about something that they had applied for, and they said, "Oh, I got this great advice once, which was to aim for a hundred rejections a year." Mm. So you're just applying to shows and galleries and all of these things uh, with the goal of getting rejected a hundred times, because mm-hmm. that's because that says that you're actually like, you know, throwing your name in the hat enough, right? Yeah. If you yep. aim for acceptances, there's only so much you can do, but, yep. you know, just aim for like getting your name in there as much as you can. I think that's, well, especially with, uh, that's exactly how I think about grant applications. It's probably true for lots of other stuff too, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, because that's what you're in control of, right? Is like sort of, are you, are you putting your hat in the ring? Are you trying? And after that, a lot of it is out of your control. Here's a question, though, for grant applications. Mm-hmm. Okay, if everyone is saying, I'm going to aim for, you know, however many rejections mm-hmm. in whatever cycle, mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever length of time, um, isn't there an argument that, like, if we all just submitted two and they were the really, really good ones, you know, like, instead of spreading all of your effort around all of those different ones, you just focused on a smaller number, mm-hmm. then... And if everyone did that, there would be less competition and all of them would be better because they're the projects that we actually want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, wouldn't that be a nicer <laughs> world? It would be. I think um, I think the problem is that the variability from reviewer to reviewer is larger than, than we like to appreciate. Mm. So, and not so much, I mean, if you send in a really bad grant, you're probably not going to get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but among the good grants, it's just so compelling. Like, like it, you know, if we funded 50% of grants, maybe that would work better. But when you're funding like 10 or 15%, it's very hard to judge 15, 15th percentile versus 16th percentile yeah. or whatever. And so the, yeah. So, so the, the impact of which reviewers you get assigned is like bigger than the variability of like, I, I spent a lot of time on this grant and I spent a medium amount of time on this grant. Right. Right. So I, in principle, that would be better, but in practice, I currently, at least with NIH stuff, I don't, I don't see that working. Mm-hmm. Like anyway, like you and I could try it, but I, then I think it would, you know, we would be the only two and we'd be sad. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but if, if you and I ever start a granting agency, Julia, I think, you know, <laughs> we, we can try to try to reduce the number of grants people have to submit. That would be a great step. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah, so, but here's, so here's a question though, like thinking about, um, framing, right. And so, and this was episode four, we talked about, about like how you frame things and how you can reframe things. 
you know, if you don't like, there are all these like metaphors and sort of folk wisdom sayings. Right. And so like one is, you know, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. And that was like me with my postdoc applications. Like I just kept going back year after year to, to work, you know, for the same work, for the same grants, for everything was kind of the same. And I was just trying to be persistent because that, that seems good. Hmm. But then there's like, if a door closes, a window will open, which is like, you know, if this thing doesn't work out, maybe you should try something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also like, I'm sure none of our listeners, but in the world, there are people who are like, probably not competitive in certain things. Like if I, so I think I, I, I may have shared this before, but, but anyway, forgive me if I did my um, PhD supervisor, Art Wingfield uh, is not a tall man. Uh, and he would always say, well, I wanted to, you know, if I wanted to play uh, basketball for the Boston Celtics, like I wouldn't be able to. And it's not mm-hmm. because I don't want it enough. And because like, it's not a moral failing. It's just like, I'm just not really well suited for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, he would kind of say it with a twinkle in his eye, but like, you know, not everyone is, is going to be competitive for everything they apply for. And so mm-hmm. like on the one hand, there's randomness and you have to kind of ignore negative feedback, I think, to succeed because a lot of it isn't about you. Mm-hmm. But at some point, like we do need to listen to feedback. Like, I mean, anyway, there, you know, if you keep trying to do something and it's not working, you can keep being frustrated and trying that, or you can try something different, right? Like that you have more success at, whether it's a different grant topic or a different career or a different graduate school or whatever. So, so, I know there's no easy answer to this, but like, (laughs) yeah, how do we decide when to persist at the same idea and when to try something new? You got to know when to hold them and know when to (laughs) fold. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, that's tough. I mean, so so we we, you know we kind of started this um, talking about um, getting into grad school. And, you know, the, the advice for people who, who didn't get in this round um, or didn't get into the ones they wanted this round or, you know, got into one, but it's really far from home or something like that. Um, and I have had um, I've really been surprised at the, the students that I have had who I thought were like easy, like shoe wins, you know, just great students, good background. I thought would have no trouble, you know, getting landing a, a good position in the grad program. Um, and, and didn't. And, um, and I think like being like truly surprised by that was helpful in those conversations with them. That was just cause it, uh, mm-hmm. I think like the shock on my face helped <laughs> right. to convey that I really didn't uh-huh. think it was about them. Right. I thought it was, I thought it was bad luck or something. Um, and, and the advice, I mean, for the, the students that I've had that, that didn't get in on the first round, um, they have they have all, all of them, um, decided to wait a year, keep working, try Mm -hmm. again, and then, and then did get in on the next round. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I haven't had experiences with students who, you know, in terms of grad school, like really want it, keep trying and, and, and haven't had it work out. That is not to say those, that that doesn't happen. Of course, it certainly, certainly does. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, and at some point, I mean, I think that you, you do have to ask the question of like, what else would you be doing with this time? And, you know, is it worth thinking about the, the like opportunity cost associated with taking another year and, 
and, and applying again. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how much, how much do you really want this thing? Yeah. So that's right. So in a way it's sort of whether, whether we're explicit in our own minds about it or not, it's sort of like, if you, if you really want it, you might be more willing to, it, it's like a cost benefit kind of a trade-off, right? So you're like, oh, this thing is the thing I, I like me and the wrestling. Actually, it's a good example, right? Like I kind of wanted it. There was a little barrier. I walked away. I mean, partly I was like an intimidated eighth grader, but like I probably didn't want it that bad. I was like kind it's of interested. such a sweet image in my head. <laughs> you know what I picture people as children? I just, I picture them with the exact same head they have and just, and just on a kid's body. Uh-huh. And it just, it, it's, funny you should try it um i, I had more hair the, <laughs> <laughs> poor sweet little jonathan tugging on the lock door yeah so that was i mean for me again every, you know everyone's situation is different and so this is not prescriptive this is just sharing you know what we know about uh but for me that was really indicative that i didn't want it that bad mm-hmm. um and so i think that was fine i think it was fine that i didn't join the wrestling team i could have learned some perseverance but but you know it was okay um and so, well, for, I mean, talking about your postdoc applications, it sounds like it sounds like you learned some perseverance along the right, way. Right, 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 mm-hmm. exactly. Uh, and also, those are, I mean, in a way, at least the the things I applied for, I never got. And so, you know, I think I think it's also uh, it is a mistake to be like, oh, if you want it bad enough, and if you keep trying, you will get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's a huge survivorship bias thing that you you hear from people who who were successful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't think that's always true either. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I, I actually lost my train of thought regarding this whole thing, but I think um, <laughs> the, the general direction I was going is I mean, it, everything. It's always, there's always two options, which are both right. Like, so on the one hand, yes, you know, it's good to persevere in the face of challenge, but also if you don't persevere, it can be an indication you don't want it that much. But I, but I feel I want to be careful saying that because I think that's something that. That there is a big survivorship bias, you know, saying, oh, if you wanted it enough, you would get it. And I think that's not true for sure. So it can be a useful signal to pay attention to. Like if you try to get something and don't get it and you're like, ah, I'll move on, like maybe pay attention to that. But but I also don't think if you didn't get it, then it's like your fault somehow. Right. Yeah. You know, when when we when we talk about like things not going according to plan. I think one of the other things that um, that happens in, in that situation is not just that you don't have the thing that you wanted to do, but, um, but also that like now you don't have a plan, mm-hmm. right? And I think um, it, it's also getting to be the time of year where I'm talking to a lot of my, a lot of my seniors, right? Like college seniors who are about to graduate and many of whom don't, don't have a plan. And it might be because they applied to a grad program and it didn't work out. It might be because they just haven't gotten there yet. Um, and one of one of the um, one of the things that I've really distilled from from the conversations that I have with them is that like uh, when you're in like a, a place of transition, like about to graduate from college, um, what your plan is is like the main thing that people ask you about. Mm-hmm. Right. Like anytime you see family, anytime you talk to like faculty, yes. like the main thing people are asking about is like, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> um, yep. And, you know, and it puts like this tremendous pressure on having a plan. And I think, you know, makes like really stresses people out when it's when things don't don't go the way that they that they wanted. Um, and one of the things that I just t- 
tell them over and over again is what you decide to do right after college in no way defines the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that, um, there are very few things that you can do right after college that are going to like systematically prevent you from doing other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, like maybe felonies or something, right. right. But right. like yeah, avoid felonies. Good. But you know, but like you get some job in industry and then later you decide you want to be an academic. Yeah, that's cool. You work in a research lab and then decide you want to get a job in industry. Yeah. You can probably do that too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that it's, that it's not, um, that the having that plan seems so important because it's what everybody asks you about. Um, but, but in terms of like, you know, the, the doors, windows, whatever, mm-hmm. um, uh, it, 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 it may not be as like critical as, as people are, are worried that it is. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was sort of the point of our, you know, again, our first episode on winding mm-hmm. roads is that uh, many people do not have straight paths, whatever, whatever their plan was. Right there, you know, and wherever they ended up, it was frequently not a straight line, and and, and often that can be okay, right? So, yep. I so I have I have worked hard to figure out um, how to ask seniors about you know how to say what are you doing with your life uh-huh. uh, in a way that is non confrontational or scary or judgy mm-hmm. and makes it be okay if they don't have a plan. Um, and what I've landed on is. Uh, what are you looking forward to after graduation? Oh, that's good. And that way, if they have a job, they can say, I have a job. They're going to grad school. I, they can say that. But they can also say, I'm really looking forward to binge watching some shows and chilling out and mm-hmm. working at the summer camp and whatever. Um, and so it's a way that people can talk about their plans if they if they want, but it doesn't make people who don't have plans feel bad about them. Yep. I like that. Okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that. So uh, we, you know, we kind of frame this in general, in general terms, but also about sort of, you know, a specific issue, which is, you know, what if you apply to a graduate program and you don't get in or you don't get into the one you want? And so I thought we should take a few minutes at the end and like help brainstorm some specific advice, like with the understanding that everyone's situation is different and I don't know what's right for you. But anyway. So, so what are your thoughts, Julia, if someone, if someone who's really excited about going to graduate school for, you know, I guess any topic, psychology, say, mm-hmm. it doesn't get in, then what? Yeah, so one of the things that, that's particularly tough about not getting into grad school is that you don't get feedback. <clears throat> you know, if you, if you write a grant, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully you get some comments. If you write a paper and it gets rejected, you get some feedback. But typically, you know, when you are, like, applying for faculty jobs or for grad school they just say no thanks we had a number of well-qualified applicants mm-hmm. we didn't choose you um and so that's uh, that's what i have seen be the most frustrating for students right? yeah you so don't like, know but, but what why? can i change right right yeah. what can i do better um and so i think that what i would recommend is 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 trying to get some feedback from a faculty member uh you know a mentor uh advisor whatever um to have them look at like your full set of materials and see if they might be able to offer any insights. Um, I mean, it, it's best to do that before you apply, right? So that they can say, oh, you know, in your personal statement, it'd be better to address these things, whatever. Um, but if you didn't do that uh, or only showed your advisor, you know, an early version of a cover letter or showed them, you know, an, an incomplete package, um, 
asking somebody to look at like a full set of materials, um, I think could be helpful because they might notice things like, oh, this, even though you had, you know, worked in a research lab for a couple of years, you didn't talk much about it. And so that may have conveyed like a lack of enthusiasm about research or something like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, it would be nicer to get the feedback from the people who rejected you, but, you know, in place right. of that. Um, right. And and I will just say, if anyone applied to a psych program this year and and didn't get in and doesn't have some other kind of uh, mentor that they could talk to, um, I'd be happy to talk with you and look at your materials and give you my limited feedback. That's great. Uh, well, me too. Uh, I'd be happy to do that. Um, so one bit of generic advice, which is like, it's very boring, but I think it's actually useful, is that... Um, you know, getting some more research experience, again, if you're looking for kind of a PhD route, will will seldom hurt you, right? And so so maybe the plan was to go right from undergrad into a, into a graduate program, and that didn't work. You know, working as a research assistant in a lab for a year or two, uh, you know, has a lot of benefits. Uh, you're making some money, uh, and maybe it's not a ton, but it's, you know, it's some. Uh, you're learning about, you're learning hopefully skills that will actually help you out in graduate school. And you're also being able to interact with another advisor who will hopefully write you a strong letter, right? And so the difference between, a, like, if you took the best undergraduate psychology candidate ever, and that same person who has two more years of experience and a paper, like, the second person is probably going to be more competitive. So, there, I mean, there is, like, a bit of an arms race. and I don't think we should, you know, we shouldn't be requiring people to go work before going to graduate school and all that. But if you didn't get in, I think that's a really concrete step that helps lots of people uh, and also teaches you some skills along the way. So even if you decide then not to go to graduate school, you know, hopefully it's not wasted time because you've, you've learned some things on the job and you've had time to kind of um, assess your options. And also you probably learned more about what you're interested in mm-hmm. and, you know, can better tailor, can, can find programs that are better, um, better fits for your, for your interests because you, you know more. Yep. Yeah, exactly. It's hard to know what you want to focus. I mean, it was, so anyway, well, sometime we'll do more in graduate school things. Um, it was very hard for me to know what I really wanted to study. I knew I, I, I sort of liked the mind <laughs> and, and maybe neuroscience, but I didn't know it at the time. Uh, but in mm-hmm. terms of like a, a really specific area, I, I had no idea. And I mean, a, another topic is how much that matters, but um, I was lucky enough to find a good advisor and an area that I'm interested in. But I think, um, anyway, I think I got very lucky there. And I think people who have had a little more time often are more, I don't know, have a little more ownership over that interest. And I think that comes mm-hmm. across in, in statements and interviews and, and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, and apart from that, so I, I, okay, so we have two concrete bits of advice. One is have lots of people look at your application materials and give you feedback. And the second one is, if possible, try to get some kind of research job that gives you more experience that you can kind of build your, build your resume and, and you can continue to work on your application. Um, I think those are both pretty solid. I, I'd say another one too is like, uh, think really hard about if you really want to do it, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, there are lots of ways of having interesting and fulfilling careers, and there are lots of ways to be successful. 
Um, and, you know, and, and if, um, I mean, and really, this is something that you should, that everyone should be thinking about when they're applying, right? Like this isn't specific to right. after you've been rejected. Right. Of course. Um, uh, I think it's very easy. I mean, like what I did was, I guess I should go to grad school. What should I go for? I guess what I got my, what my, got my undergrad <laughs> degree in, yeah. you know, and, and, and that mm-hmm. is not a way that I, I feel very lucky that things have worked out for me the way that they have, but I, I don't think it's necessarily like the best the best advice. Sure. No, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, compared to, well, compared to a generation ago or two generations ago, um, you know, the academic job market is, is probably looks different. And so a lot of the advice you get, I mean, even from me and Julia, but also from, from older generations is probably not applicable so much anymore, which is just to say, like, like when I got into this, I was very naive about the realities of, getting faculty positions. And so um, I'm less naive now, but I mean, you know, had I known all this, would I have made a different decision? Maybe I didn't see any other options at the time, but, but there are other options. And so I think it is worth considering that too. Did I, have I told the story about how my dad got a faculty job? I don't, (laughs) anyway, I don't think so. If you have, I forgot it. So tell it again. Okay. Uh, uh, Hi dad. I hope you're okay with me telling this. Um, so my dad is a, a uh, was a law professor, just retired a couple of years ago, um, was a law professor at the University of Minnesota. And apparently when, uh, when he was finishing his PhD, the phone rang and they were like, hey, Phil, you want a faculty job? And he was like, sure. And, and, and then he, and then he had a job. <laughs> yep. And that's it. He, he never even applied for it or any other jobs. It just, they just gave it to him. Yes. I've, <laughs> I've heard these stories. Yeah. <laughs> so when I was on the job market, you know, and I was like doing all these applications and trying all this stuff. And I was like, dad, what was it like? And I was like, oh yeah, you've got to the advice, uh, uh, advice about this stuff has a very short shelf life. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So to summarize, things don't always go according to plan. It's not always necessarily because you did something wrong. There's a lot of luck involved as well. Um, and when when these bumps in the road happen, uh, may we all do our best to pick ourselves up and dust ourselves off when when possible. And uh, if there are ways that Jonathan and I can help, feel free to reach out, and we're we're happy to give our advice. And how can people contact us, Julia? Ooh, well, you can, you can go to our website, uh, net. We have a, a, a like a form where you can fill out. Um, uh, to contact us, or you can email us at thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And you can also find us both on Twitter. And you can also find us both on Twitter. <laughs> I- <laughs> Sorry. Uh, also, if you want to contact us, uh, we can send you stickers. Uh, we have been sending out lots of stickers in the mail, and that makes me feel good. So feel free to reach out for stickers. Me too. They're great stickers, aren't they? I, I, have, are, I, have, yeah. I have one on my laptop uh, and one on my water bottle and one on my coffee cup. I get lots of compliments. People yep, say, what see? is that? I say, yeah, hmm. me too. Yep. That's good. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. All right. Thanks. Good luck on your bye. bumpy roads. All right. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.